are listening to the Patriot Pastors Podcast, where we talk about today's issues from a pastor's perspective, as well as calling America back to the faith of our fathers. Pastors Wade Lentz and Harold Smith are your hosts, and now let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Patriot Pastor Podcast. My name is Harold Smith. I'm the pastor of Lee Creek Baptist Church in Van Buren, Arkansas, and I'm joined as always by my good friend and fellow pastor, Wade Lentz. How you doing? I'm doing good, Harold. How are you doing today? Man, I'm doing great. Vacation is in my sights. I'm so close I can smell it. There I can you smell go. the ocean water blowing in. Yes. Now, where, where are you headed? I'm headed to Charleston, South Carolina, a historic town mm. uh, there on the coast. So I'm going to get my wife's going to get the beach side of things. I'm going to get the seafood eating side of things. And then I'm going to see some historical sites. And so I, I, I love studying the Revolutionary War and the Civil War. And there's there's sites for both there. So should be a good vacation for her and I. Oh, that's great, man. I know you're looking forward to that. I used to live in South Carolina. It's a beautiful state. I've been to Charleston and Myrtle Beach. Hey, it's, uh, you're, you're going to love it for sure. Looking forward to it. I really am. I, I, I'm looking forward to a vacation. I mean, just as long as we were leaving the great state of Arkansas, not because I dislike Arkansas. It's just I needed some time away, some downtime, and I'm, I'm looking forward. And I like to travel. Uh, yeah. My idea of traveling is I like to get behind the wheel and drive. A road trip is my favorite thing. And uh, I like to go places I've never been before. And this is, I've been to South Carolina several times, but this is my first trip to Charleston. So I'm excited about it. Well, good deal, man. We could talk about a lot of things happening in the world today. I, I thought about talking about Dr. Fauci's emails that have been leaked out, but we'll let you look at that <laughs> and hear that on the news because there's a lot of things uh, that's going on with that. But I do want to say uh, just a uh, a little recap of what we talked about our last episode, which was a critical look at the center's prayer. And we had a lot of listeners and we had a lot of feedback. And uh, one in particular, we had a young man by the name of Austin Presley, who uh, really identified with that particular episode. I won't read you the comment that he left on our YouTube channel, but I would encourage you to go out there to our YouTube channel and that episode entitled A Critical Look at a Sinner's Prayer and read his testimony of how the sinner's prayer a preacher led him through really was not in his best interest. And for years, he lived his life believing that he was a Christian, but not until later in life that he realized that he just went through the motions and going through the motions and going and saying a formulaic prayer uh, does not save so I was encouraged by his uh, comment, and again, go out there and read it for yourself. And uh, if you haven't listened to the episode, I would encourage you to listen to it. I know it's a very controversial subject, uh, but I, I do believe it would be of some help to you and your ministry. But today, we're going to be looking at yet another controversial subject, but one that I believe needs to be addressed. The title of this episode uh, this afternoon is entitled, Come On Down, Our Altar Calls Biblical. And so there's a lot to be said about this. We could talk about this for hours, Harold, if we're talking about the altar call. What, what comes to your mind? 
I have given them before, and um, I've never been a fan of them. I didn't begin preaching till I was 31 years old. So uh, unlike a lot of preachers who came right out of seminary, went right into a pastorate somewhere, I had, you know, several years after high school of observing churches. And one of the things I was never comfortable with was altar calls. I never liked them. Uh, even as a church member, I- I've seen them where they were, I've seen them where they were done really poorly. And it, it always seemed like when we got an evangelist in or we had some kind of special meeting, it was almost like you took the standard playbook, wadded it up and threw it out the window. And we brought in this, this high pressure sales tactic. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about altar calls, that's what I think about. I think about this high pressure technique of getting people to get out of the aisle or get out into the aisle and come to the front. And you're trying to get someone to make a response. And then those responses will be counted. They'll be, they'll be meticulously uh, uh, added up. And at the end, we'll have bragging rights to all the other churches that we had a revival and 14 people got saved, 28 got rededicated, four mm-hmm. surrendered to full-time missions. I mean, what does that even mean? Right. You know, where, where do we find those things in Scripture? And uh, instead, what you find in Scripture are people responding to a gospel invitation, and they are simply said they were added to the church. Mm-hmm. And so one of the one of my biggest gripes about, and I don't want to get ahead here, and we've got a great uh, alliterated outline of how we're going to lay this <laughs> out, but one of my big gripes about altar calls is somebody comes down front, a preacher who may or may not have ever seen this person before, in the course of about two minutes stands up or less, stands up and says, this person is now a child of God, is bound for heaven, and there's nothing the devil can do to change that. That kind of language and that kind of a response and that kind of a pronouncement of salvation didn't come about until we got altar calls. Right. And uh, right. And so, do you mind if I just give them the outline that way, in case they get bored and fall asleep during the podcast, they'll know where we're headed. <laughs> Go ahead, brother. We're going to look at altar calls from a historical standpoint, from a helpful standpoint, from a hurtful standpoint. And from a hysterical standpoint, so you'll have to stay to the end to get to the good stuff. Right. Yeah. Let, let me quickly say that we're not totally against altar calls. If, if you are a pastor and give an altar call or a public invitation, you are not uh, living in sin. That is not, please don't take this podcast that way or this episode that way, because that's, that's not how we feel in our hearts. But we do pray that you'll listen to us. What we are against is manipulation of public invitations that is wrong and really no biblical precedence about those those type of invitations whatsoever so please uh, don't don't turn us off because you think well we're just anti uh no that's not the case necessarily so but with that said let's get into that first point the historical aspect of public invitations or altar calls and and that really leads to the question are altar calls scriptural do you find them in the bible well you you don't and you really don't even find them in early church history you don't find them throughout 
church history up until the mid-1800s, until a man by the name of Charles Finney, who many would say was the uh, leader in the Second Great Awakening. He was a man that was born in 1792. He died in 1875, but he was a flamboyant revivalist. And again, many would consider him to be the father of the modern-day revivalism. Well, that's where the uh, public invitations began, the altar calls began, and these were considered new measures. And he even called them new measures and uh, because this was unprecedented. The church had never did such things, such as a public altar call or a public invitation before. But the thing about Charles Finney is that, Harold, if he was alive today and he was able to preach at our church, we would not have him preach in our church because of the heretical views that he held. And there were many, uh, such as he believed that uh, a Christian could enter into sinless perfectionism. He really had a man-centered view on salvation, not a God-centered view on salvation. He had a higher view of man and a lower view of God. So even if if he was alive in our day and time, he would not even be allowed to preach behind our pulpit. And that's very important to say, because if this is true, if you would not allow him to preach behind your pulpit, why are you allowing his methods that he came up with to really dictate your church? And it has really become a golden calf issue and uh, within the church, and it's a dangerous thing. So historically speaking, uh, really that's, that's the history of the altar call. It came out of the revivalism of a man by the name of Charles Finney, or we might call then the New Measures Finneyism. Right. And, and one thing I want to say, a lot came out of those new measures that Finney had. They were things that they were practices within the church that was not accepted up until that point. And even when Charles Finney began doing them, you had almost a, a universal uh, rejection of them in Baptist churches. Finney himself was a Presbyterian. And so you had a rejection of them in Presbyterian churches. And Finney began as an outcast. But here's how he gained popularity. He gained popularity by the sheer numbers of converts that he touted. And he would broadcast. You know, we had a meeting for four weeks in this town, and and there were 100 people saved during this time. Well, the average church member would go to church and go, Pastor, we haven't seen 100 people saved in this county. How in the world, you know, why is this happening? How is this happening? And so there became pressure. And and many preachers went and heard Finney preach. And they came back and said, this is not biblical New Testament preaching. This is nothing more than man-centered manipulation. The altar at the front of the church, uh, Finney called that an anxious bench. And he would tell people to come forward if they were concerned about their soul and have them sit down. And he would pull his stopwatch out and he would give them a time limit. God has given you five minutes to repent of your sins and believe the gospel. And then he would go deal with somebody else and come back. You've got three minutes 
Well, at the end of this three minutes, people would be like, ah, okay, I believe, I believe. Well, then Finney would get, say, this person has made a profession of faith. But here's where something historically happened. Up until this point, all we ever saw, the records being kept, and the only records we had in the Gospels and in the Book of Acts and in the New Testament epistles are records of baptisms. And out of Finney came two categories. Now we have a category of professions of faith and a category for baptisms. And so today we actually track two different categories, people that profess faith in Christ and those that followed through with baptism. And everyone that practices the altar call method of evangelism will have to confess the same number of people that profess and the same number that are baptized are two different statistics. Yes. And that never occurred prior to Finney. And so when we ask the question, well, how did it get to this point? We saw men like Billy Graham. I mean, he, he was, I can remember being a little kid watching old black and white reels of Billy Graham preaching and just, it looked like ants walking down trails through these big stadiums. And all of these people were getting saved, and I thought, okay, that's how you do it. That's Billy Graham. Mm. That's surely the way Jesus Christ did it. But it's when you start comparing history with Scripture and you realize that history for this only starts in the 1830s. But if you do not give an altar call these days, you are considered the weirdo and the heretic and the wacko. So historically, we've come a long ways Mm -hmm. in the last, say, 200 years. Right. Yes. And another point to that is, you know, he, he wrote a book that I have right here that Harold can see, you cannot see, but it's entitled Revival Lectures. An old pastor gave me this years ago. I've not read the entire book, but really the premise of the book is how to have revival, how to work up revival, how to get the people there, what messages to preach, how to perform the altar call and so forth. And it's really a man-made manipulative work of working up a revival and uh, really a, a dangerous thing because it's uh, it's not relying totally upon the Holy Spirit and, and uh, it's more about how, what you're supposed to do to ensure that a quote-unquote revival would take place in your meeting. So, yeah, historically, uh, altar calls are really a new thing when you consider the age of the church. Let, let's talk about the, the helpful aspect of the altar call. What would be, if we're talking about the, the dangers, why would we even consider the helpful aspects of an altar call? I really feel like there's nothing wrong with inviting people to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing wrong with inviting people to repent of their sins and believe the gospel. Uh, I think that is the most scriptural thing you can do. And so it is helpful at the end of a sermon to say, here's what I've declared to you from the Bible. Here's what it says. Now, I exhort you one last time, you know, believe this gospel. Turn from your sins, trust the Lord Jesus Christ, and be saved. I have to say, most people in Christianity today were saved because they responded to an altar call. They may not have got saved in the service or even at the end of service, but I, as a a child, was saved at home. 
I grew up in a, in a Baptist home. I, I was We were in church every time the doors were open. I knew the gospel at an early age. I had heard it preached. My parents worked in the youth group. My, my dad was a deacon. So I, I had prayed and, and accepted Christ and repented of my sins and trusted the gospel. And I did all of that at home. But how did I express that? I came down uh, to an altar. I kneeled down. I prayed with our pastor. I told him what I had done at home. I told him about my newfound faith in Christ. So I responded to an altar call. Therefore, I don't want to say that altar calls are all bad because I would venture to say 90% of professing Christians today have responded to an altar call, some of them five or six times to get rededicated and resaved. And last time I didn't mean it, and this time I do. And, and so they can be helpful. And, and I don't want to, as you said earlier, I don't ever want to criticize a pastor for doing this. I don't want to say you should leave a church that gives an altar call. There are times when I have, you know, in, in certain meetings said, now, if anybody would like to come forward and discuss this further, I'll be right here until they lock the doors of the church. Yes. So th- there's nothing wrong with inviting people to Christ. That can be very helpful. The problem is the next point. It's not all good. Altar calls are not the answer. They're not the end-all, be-all. There's a lot of harm and hurt that can come out of altar calls. Yes, uh, you, there can. And a lot of the, maybe the rejection or the reason why people are so quick to reject the mindset of not having an altar call would be uh, like someone saying, well, how are people going to get saved? If you don't have an altar call, then they can't come to Christ. And well, that's a horrible mindset that I normally would respond to, well, how did they get saved prior to the invention or to the new method of the altar call? Before 1830. Before 1830, right. You know, you think about the the famous sermon preached by Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Multiple people within that congregation called upon Christ and was converted during that sermon. It was not during an invitational call or an altar call that these people come forward. It was really during the the middle part to, to the end of the sermon. The sermon was not even over and people were crying out and 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 calling upon Christ at that very moment and being saved. And so the Holy Spirit is the one who leads us. When the Holy Spirit works, it is not only just a small span of time just after the after the sermon is preached during the invitational song the holy spirit charles spurgeon put it like this if if the holy spirit heats up the iron of your heart he keeps it hot and so yeah there's a lot of hurtful aspects of it because we get this mindset that there is something more spiritual about coming forward there's something more holy uh more spiritual about kneeling down front at what we call altars which really are not altars and so we get this mindset then the only time to be saved is during that time and that is that's false and that's wrong and that's a horrible mindset it puts a unhealthy view of uh the holy spirit being the one who calls us to salvation right a lot could be said on the hurtful aspect of an invitation. 
Let's talk about some of those things. Uh, you know, I wrote down a couple of thoughts here when we talk about the hurt of an altar call. One of the things it does is it equates an action to salvation. And so we've equated, you know, if you want to be saved, come down front. We, you know, the Bible says if you want to be saved, you desire salvation, repent and believe. We say come down front. And, and you may say, well, you're just splitting hairs. No, 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 my friend. Don't misunderstand me. I talk to people all the time on their deathbed, and I'm there because their family is concerned that they have no evidence of salvation. And when I go and talk to them and I'll say, I'm here on behalf of your family who's concerned about your, your soul and you're approaching death and you're in the hospital. And here's what they'll say. Well, on a starry night at an old brush altar, I walked down an old-fashioned sawdust trail and I, I took an old preacher by the hand, an old brother so-and-so with an old tear-stained Bible. And we mm-hmm. go through this big nostalgic event. Yeah. And I'll say, okay. But, sir, since then, you've been a raging alcoholic. You've been married 12 times. You've mm-hmm. got a half a dozen illegitimate children. You cuss like a sailor. Yeah, but I, yeah. I walked down that sawdust trail, and I'm like, that's not salvation. And so then when I start talking about repentance and faith, they are like, well, Brother Harold, I've never heard that before. I'm just like, mm-hmm. well, what did you go down the aisle for? I went down the aisle because I wanted to go to heaven. Yeah, And I was asked as a child multiple times, do you want to go to heaven? Well, sure I do. So I was told, if you want to go to heaven, come down the aisle. So you've got this action, and that action is bad. We're equating. It would be no different than lighting a candle, or, or as the, the, the Church of Christ would say, you've got to be baptized by us. Baptists would say, you've got to walk down the aisle. Mm-hmm. Yes. But the altar, you mentioned that. Let me say a little bit about the altar Anytime we make a spot where you do business with God, we really do a bad thing. Uh, I grew up with the belief that you couldn't run in the Lord's house. You couldn't talk loud in the Lord's house. You, you, could, you had to wear certain clothes in the Lord's house. And so I grew up almost worshiping a building and never understanding who the Lord was. And I didn't really want to be that close to him because you couldn't do anything fun around him. You know, this is just a childlike thinking. I can remember sure. thinking this. Well, when we equate you do business with God here in an altar, we're training a group of people to come down to the front in front of everybody else and pour their heart out. And so what will happen is people think that they can only do business with God at this altar. You may say, well, Brother Held, I don't believe that. I don't teach that. But if you are heavy on altar calls, you are teaching that by your actions. And I have seen church services drag on for hours while people were at the altar getting right with God. People should really be sent home to get right with God. Yes. Put the kids to bed, go out on the backside of the garden in the backyard where nobody's bothering you and nobody can see you, and you pour your heart out to God out there. Mm-hmm. You know, go down to the barn, whatever, uh, whatever you've got to do. Get alone and do business with God. Don't do it with 50 or 100 people staring at the back of your head. Right, right. And, and I've heard people even make the argument, well, we're teaching people how how to get right with God because they're seeing other people do it. Then what they're doing is for show. Yes. It's not a teaching moment. It's a time to do business with God, and that's best done in the private. I mean, Jesus tells us when we pray. Go into your closet and shut the door. So now we have this whole prayer closet idea when a closet was really the only room in a small house. Mm -hmm. It was not a special room. 
The, the other hurt is the manipulation, you know. And I, I know I'm kind of rambling on here, but w- when we're singing 10 more verses because he thinks somebody's resisting the Holy Spirit or somebody's quenching the Holy Spirit or we're telling sad stories or we're telling people if they died tonight, you know, and then we tell them about two kids that got ran over by a freight train, you know, and one was saved and one wasn't. All of this psychological manipulation, that's what hurts the altar call. If you mm-hmm. simply close your message with, come to Christ, believe on him, turn from your sins, and you will be saved. And if nobody comes forward, then the Holy Spirit didn't draw anybody. But if you that's drag right. that out and manipulate, dim the lights, play soft music, all of that kind of stuff is psychological manipulation. And that's what we talk about when we're talking about the hurt and the harm of altar calls. Yeah. And that's the, that's the thing as a pastor is that if you live by the numbers of folks who come forward, you're going to die by the numbers. And uh, what happens if, if you preach a sermon and no one comes forward, you feel like, well, I've, I've got to say something different to get them down forward and get them down to the, get them down front to pray. Or what's going to happen if you live by the numbers, you're going to die by the numbers. You're going to be, you're going to feel very discouraged after many sermons that you preach when no one comes. You're going to judge the message that you preach by the number of people who respond publicly at that moment. And that is so wrong. That is so wrong. And it's unhealthy for the, for for you as a pastor, because we're so quick, we want to, Uh, quickly see the fruits of our labor. We want to quickly see and even pick the fruit uh, way too early before it's ready. And that's that's not healthy for you long term. So uh, there's a quote by uh, the late Leonard Ravenhill that I want to read real quick. He said, altar calls don't happen in revivals. They only happen in modern day evangelism. In a revival, People cry out, what shall we do to be saved? I love that. Hey, if, when, when the Spirit is moving, um, there's no need for public invitations. There's, there is no need for emotionalism and, and all of that. The, the people will ask the question, what shall we do to be saved? You mentioned this earlier. I always make myself available after the sermon I always plead for sinners to come. We we are not saying that uh, uh, we don't give invitations. Really, every sermon is an invitation. If you're going to preach the gospel correctly, you're going to do so only when you give uh, an invitation to respond correctly to the gospel. The gospel itself is an invitation to come. And so... I, when I finish a sermon, I always invite sinners to come to Jesus, not come to a location, but come to faith and repentance and trust in Christ, clinging, clinging to Christ. And so we're, we're not uh, hyper-Calvinists or uh, anything like that. No, we, we plead for sinners to come to Christ. We just do not do it at a specific time and a specific location that if you don't do it here, then you're going to be too late. And I always emphasize that salvation in Scripture is always a now thing. It is something that you do not put off. Uh, now is the accepted time. Uh, today is the day of salvation. We, we, 
I always put the urgency of coming to Christ when the Spirit is moving and convicting you. When you pressure people into making a decision, it always leads to buyer's remorse. It doesn't matter if you're at the used car lot and you've got that high pressure car salesman, you know, really want to get you in this car, you know, really, we can do anything with your credit. You know, he's making all these crazy plans and promises and you end up buying a car that's a little bit out of your budget and then you're strapped with those big heavy payments or you buy a car that's a little older than what you wanted and then when it's breaking down, when we have to, when we feel like that we have to as pastors or, or preachers, evangelists, to try to coerce people to come forward. And I know people take that, you know, take the Bible verse, I compel them to come. The compelling them to come is with gospel truth. We present the gospel. We invite people to embrace it. If they don't, that's above my pay grade. I believe in the working of the Holy Spirit. I believe in it to the. I believe in in His work, in His power, in His in His deity to the point that all I must do is present a plain and clear gospel, and encourage men to believe it, and God will do the rest. He's yes. promised to do the rest. Now, here's what will happen, though, Wade. If we just simply present a biblical gospel, we will not see the numbers of the guy who's dimming the lights, playing soft music, telling sad stories, and people will say, well, he's getting all of the, uh, all of the converts. You're not. Mm-hmm. But go back up and look at how many of those converts are still in a church 10 years later. And what you'll find are churches that are really manipulative in their altar calls will, will have a lot of professions, even less baptisms, and many of the baptisms will not be found. Clear evidence of this is the Southern Baptist Convention. Nearly every Southern Baptist church that I know of uses an altar call. They have 14 million members. They have 4 million that show up. They have a 10 million member that nobody knows where they are. That's what that's the kind of fruit you reap from this style of evangelism. So there is a hurt here, but there's also a hysteria. <laughs> Wait, have you ever been in a crazy altar call? Like maybe not, not at your own church, but you went to someone's revival meeting or at a Bible conference where the singing was. I mean, you're a singer. Have you? I know yeah, you've seen yes. some things I could, I could, I've just seen on the Internet. Right. Let me tell you a quick story about what happened when I was a teenager. I went to a youth conference and uh, there was a preacher evangelist who used to be an NFL football player great NFL football player and became a Christian and got saved and then an evangelist. His invitation still, even after 30 years have gone by, is still lodged in my head. I'll never forget it. When he gave the invitation, he literally went down the aisle and asked people individually, are you saved? Are you saved? Are you saved? And, you know, some people would say, yes, yes, I'm, I'm saved. He'd go to the next one. If they said no, oh, Lord, he would literally drag them. Say, come on, come on, follow me, follow me. Talk to this guy right here. Talk to him. Then he'd leave and go back to the people, the young people, and say, are you saved? Are you saved? Well, after a few of them had been dragged down the aisle, and pretty much the rest of the people found out all they had to do was just nod their head yes and say yes i'm saved so they wouldn't be dragged down the aisle so man that is a overzealous hysterical uh, evangelist who listen i'm sure he had right intentions but the method he used was totally 
totally out of place and it did more harm than good. And so, yeah, I have seen a lot of crazy things that uh, over the years that, you know, many people see as spiritual. I, uh, this is not wild and crazy, but it made me fight and mad. This was at our associational church camp. Man, my son was, was probably seven years old. So we're talking 13 years ago. And, um, it, this was children's camp. So we had a screen up there and we had some cartoon characters on it. And there were two boys, uh, walking up to the edge of this mountain, eating a popsicle. And, they, and, the, and the guy's talking about it. And so they get up to the top of this little bluff and they're looking out over the mountains. They're both eating little red popsicles. And the bluff breaks loose and the kids are falling. And, and they're falling like, ah, their hands are in the air. They're still holding those popsicles. And both of these kids fall to their death. And mm-hmm. one kid is sitting on top of a rainbow and Jesus has got his arm around him and he's just about to the bottom of that popsicle. The other kid is in hell and the devil is poking him with a pitchfork and he has a popsicle stick and the popsicles ran all down his hands. Oh my. And my seven-year-old son looks over at my mom and says, I just want to go down front and get this over with. That's not a gospel invitation. Right. The next night, no, 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 no. That was the second night. That was the last night we went. The first night, there was a roulette wheel that you would spin, and you had a 50-50 chance of going to heaven or hell. And so when we got to the end of this, well, the invitation time, uh, he would point out, somebody, what's your chances? And he would spin it. Oh, you're going to hell if you don't. So, you know, you're going to go to heaven. And so people were sitting here. And we're talking about children, mm. little kids, and this is nuts. Well, then I grow up and become a preacher, and I start going around trying to find a circle of preachers I fit into, and I end up in a conference where men are running around the sanctuary, swinging their, their suit jackets over their head yeah, and, and shouting and jumping over pews. And, and this is not a Pentecostal church. This is a Baptist church. And I'm like, this is Pentecostalism. How, what, what's going on here? Basically, I came to the conclusion of as long as you didn't speak in tongues, you could have any kind of invitation service you wanted, as long as everything you said was in the English language. Right. Yeah. You know, if if you want any examples to look at, maybe some videos of of these overzealous evangelists, I would encourage you, if you have a a Twitter account, to look at the, uh, he's called the Loving Pastor, and these are satire sites but they really um, explain and and show this hysterical view of uh, invitation. So the loving pastor, there is the the Bible Belt satire Twitter account, and there's one more. What's the other? IFB one? IFB sermon clips. Yeah, yeah. Uh, IFB sermon clips actually had a YouTube channel, and uh, some of the people he was putting up threatened the copyright violation, so his YouTube channel was was taken down. But what these guys typically expose are what you would see in these revival tent meetings. Now, not everybody that sets up a tent and has a, a service underneath that is doing this. Right. But in independent fundamental Baptist churches, it is becoming rampant to set up a tent and then it's almost like a circus tent. Anything goes under the tent. And so uh, one of the evangelists, C.T. Townsend, he's one of the biggest names in this movement. Mm-hmm. He had a big wooden wooden altar bench made. And if you got saved under the tent, you got to write your name on that bench. And And these guys would go so far as to bottle up the sawdust off yeah. the floor. 
Yes. And keep it so that they could pour it out at the next tent meeting as if the Holy Ghost is traveling in some kind of piece of sawdust. Mm. And that kind of silliness, that kind of, you know, antics. I watched a, a sermon clip of C.T. Townsend just the other day, walking around with a dipper of water, dipping water out of a trough and drinking it and, and, and talking about how great that water was and throwing it on the congregation and just this kind of semantics, this kind of just showmanship. Mm-hmm. This has no place in an invitation to repent of your sins and believe the gospel. Right, right. And, and that's why you as a pastor need to be very much grounded in such topics because you're going to look at what he's doing and what these other guys are doing. And you're going to think, my goodness, he had 100 people saved uh, during that uh, particular revival. And I haven't had 10 people saved in my church all year. And you're going to get discouraged. But you have to have a biblical principle that you're looking at. And, you know, here's something to think about. If the public invitation is such an important part of the church life and the church service life, why is it never addressed in the pastoral epistles? that Paul wrote. I mean, there, you would think that, hey, uh, the Apostle Paul would tell young Timothy, hey, Timothy, now after you preach a sermon, this is, this is how you must handle the invitation. This is how you to do it. Yeah, Finney, you wrote, a, Finney wrote a dictionary-sized book on the topic, and Paul never mentions it. That's right. So that's something that you must consider. And, and because there, there's nothing extra biblical there's nothing more spiritual about having a public invitation such as an altar call man i I could talk so much more about this but let me just say this um you know maybe you're a pastor and you are in a church that you give a a full-blown altar call and um, let me encourage you do not just stop it if you're new at a church or if you've not taught uh, done any teaching on this subject do not just, you know, pull the carpet from underneath their feet. You you may pray about modifying it. Um, and this is something that I did years ago. Instead of when people came forward, instead of me dealing with those individuals at that moment, as far as, you know, maybe somebody come forward and, and needs to be saved and or feels like they need to be saved and me dealing with them while the invitational hymn is going and while people are still standing and singing. Instead of doing that, what I started doing was telling that person who did come forward, hey, right after the service, I want you and I to meet together and talk about this so I can hear your heart and um, and know better know how the Lord is, is leading you. And so that that's a good place to start is to maybe modify what you're doing. Again, teach your people this. And it takes time. It takes years because this is so ingrained in the average Baptist church today. And so take your time. Be patient. The Lord was patient dealing with me on this subject. And you have to be just as patient or even more so to the people you pastor. That's right. Yeah. Another thing I'll say, nobody's going to hell because you didn't give an altar call. Right. A a lot of church members feel like, well, if we don't give an altar call, these people are going to die and go to hell. No, they're not going to die and go to hell. They will seek out spiritual counsel. They will get it outside of the end of a closing service. 
and you know be available and and the 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 way that i quit having an altar call was i came to a church that did give altar calls and I, I didn't see any problem with it but as i began to see problems with it my appeal just became less and less i would close my sermon i would stand down front we would sing one or two verses that was it then we would sing one verse you know and then i would just stop standing down front i just stood over to the side and prepared to make closing announcements and if someone comes down front you know don't run them off they're just doing what they've been trained to do by previous preachers and churches you know help them deal with them if you can but mainly don't train your people to think this is where we do business with god and this is when people get saved teach them that they ought to be able to do business with god at any given time they ought to be able to pray and seek him at any time find repentance and forgiveness at any time and that an altar call is not when we do evangelism we are inviting people to christ from the moment we open the service with a song to the time that we open our bibles for the word all of it is an appeal to seek forgiveness of sins and faith in christ and if, if a pastor is faithful to do that god will save people through his ministry as the lord sees fit Yes, yes. And and I hope you've heard our heart today. We're not, uh, Harold and I don't think that we are come to the uh, point that we know it all or anything of that nature. We These are the thing, things that we have learned in the ministry. I've been pastoring for several, several years, uh, about 20 years, and Harold about the same. And things that we've learned and experienced. Anyway, I, we do pray that this is a help to you. Harold, do you have any final words before you head off? No, I just want to echo what you said. You know, I have a lot of friends that give invitations, give altar calls. Um, I, I'm, that's not going to be like a standard of fellowship. But if you're giving the hysterical altar calls, if you're the guy doing all the techniques, I, we're not going to be close friends because you're right. what's wrong with Christianity. Yes. But as we said in the beginning, there's nothing wrong with inviting sinners to receive Christ, to come unto him. But no place for the, the theatrics and all the other craziness. There's no place for that in Christianity. So, Pastor, if that's you, I would encourage you to seek the Lord on that. Pray about that. Look outside of the echo chamber that you've learned to, to give altar calls in and just see historically that this came about less than 200 years ago and pray about how you should start taking steps to get out of that kind of craziness. If you still want to sing a hymn and invite people down front, more power to you. I, we have no right. problem with that. Yes. Well, that's that's very good advice, and uh, it, it's been a great episode. We're, we're thankful that you listened to us. And uh, until next time, thank you for listening to the Patriot Pastors Podcast.